0: subject for the evening talk is Beyond Explanation. (laughs) (laughs) May all beings (laughs) live (laughs) in (laughs) peace. When we consider our relationship to the world and our participation in it, we can look in rather simple terms which can be useful to understand who we are and our relationship in the whole process and scheme of things. And there are and have been of course countless numbers of views and opinions and philosophies and standpoints which have been and are formulated to try to explain who we are in the world. And sometimes this has seemed very theoretical and abstract at other times very useful and practical and sometimes from various standpoints philosophical, scientific, religious, (coughs) sociological and so forth. And one hopes that in our life, that in our endeavour to explain life to ourselves and each other and to understand it, we can do it through the resources of language which are useful and reasonably simple to bear in heart and mind. And one of the ways of expressing that in our relationship to the world is our concern from a human standpoint, our concern with the thread and the relatedness of the intention, the actions and the results. And much of what we consider as human beings in a world which we are conceiving from moment to moment, the intentions and the actions and the results matter to us. At times, what we notice in this dynamic as we live in the world, that sometimes we tend to neglect the intention. We start off in our life with a particular action, there was an intention behind it, we were quite clear in ourselves what that intention was and then we get into, as it were, the habit of the action. The intention itself is gets neglected and sometimes is, it is replaced with quite different intentions. The actions are the same, the results are the same in the world but the intention underlying it has changed. And so we sometimes find ourselves quite in bondage with the action and the result and that's all that matters. And there's been, as it were, a neglect of the totality of the situation because the intention is not a constant inquiry for us, a constant wonder and question about its place as a contributing factor in the movement towards result. So when we're considering our life and our concerns with the action and result factor, we can't exclude it from the intention which gives support to the actions and results. In that when we when we look at that relationship, what we notice is that there is frequently a preoccupation with the result. The result of what we do understandably matters to us. But what we notice is that the investment in the result, that the on the result to the degree that that's there gives rise to the appearance of I, me, my. So when when we look at the totality of the picture in this way of of conceiving, in this way of explaining, we tend very easily to measure ourselves by the effect of what the action is. And what we tend to do in this is, there's the intention, there's the action and the result, and for some of us, when we look at this, we attribute exclusively the result to our intention and action. Do you follow? We we think as though it all starts here inside of me, the action is owing to me and the result owing to me. And we get, not for everybody, a kind of narrow or prescribed view of how things are, how things are going and how things should end up. And what we fail to see in our intention, action and result sequence is the huge interplay an interconnectedness of huge numbers of other factors affecting the original intention, influencing and shaping the action and influencing and affecting the result. So what one says from, say, Dharma teaching position or standpoint which is for the purpose of liberation, is to, in this movement which you and I interact with every day of our life, what's being, as it were, carried through? What's happening from the intention, through the action, to the result? In that, when we get result from the action, then comes in the explanation. And how we regard the explanation, upon that very, very easily, depends our peace of mind. We think, very important this, we think that the result is the cause for the state of mind. What the end, what the effect is, what the fruit of it is, because of the fruit, we think, therefore I am like this. So, in the process, in the cycle, the effect be- it gets regarded as the cause for how I'm feeling, how I'm experiencing, how I am. So then we get trapped in this, and we go from intention, action, result. The result becomes the cause. cause! Then next action, then result. In the Dharma language, in the Eastern language, this is called samsara. It's called the wandering on from one thing to another so that the result, to get the result, to fit in with the intention and the action. And it blinds us to a sense of the total process, the total unfoldment, all of which is involved in that whole intention, action and result. And so we live in the the nightmare of success and failure, the nightmare of getting it right, the nightmare of achievement, Yet, we live, to a degree, in a humanly-conceived world. So, for um, example, I, as yourselves, I come to teach a meditation retreat to serve the Dharma. The intention with this process, for my part is for nothing else but the liberation of humanity. In that intention, that action and in that work I may experience or perceive through the course of time, through the course of retreats, the fruits of serving the Dharma. Perceive the results of what takes place. In that, do I have with that memory? The memory which brings joy, the memory which brings satisfaction, the memory which sees here and there the purpose of the serving the Dharma is being discovered in this world. But then very easily from, from the memory and the influence that begins to come in to the intention. This has happened on my retreats, whatever it might be. That influence of I and memory, or my, comes in and with that coming in then there is a kind of filter going over this conceived world. A filter which in seeing results, somehow then begins to affirm in some way the initiator. And very easily, we repeat this many times in our life, the I arises dependent upon what the results are. The form of the I, the shape of the I, the feeling, the experiences of of the I gets Tied to the result, and and to the degree that the result is really important, and we really grasp on to the result, is to the degree that I is likely to emerge. Successful I, failure I, or sometimes I in the form of ego, which may reject success and failure, and just say, well, the results are like this, because they, they, they don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's results in our life. The life of intention, action and results. The results are revealing themselves Some results, when we've got put a lot of action and intention behind a particular activity, the results can't help but matter. We can't help but be interested in the outcome of a situation. To say I'm going to live and I'm not going to have any concern with results is naivety unprecedented there's the interest, there's the action, and the results are there, and the results will come. But, as I said, what is the explanation we give to the results? What way does I arise to interpret the results? I think we have an opportunity here and elsewhere to explore that with ourselves to reflect on that process, on what matters and particularly how we are regarding what matters. And I think if we're not so bound to results we may be getting a little bit more space around that process. A little bit more space around that process is the whisper of liberation. Without the denial of that movement. Then sometimes we look and our way... Sometimes we have experiences, and some of you during the small groups and the one-to-one meetings and with the evening inquiry sessions, we've been talking about uh, experiences. We could describe experiences as a variety of sensations occurring. And there's a whole range of these experiences. Some of these experiences for you are unfamiliar. And one can't quite comprehend in a way what's what's going on in that experience. What's, what's What's this which is happening to me? And in that experience which is taking place, often the first intention, when the experience is hard to explain, is to resort to the use of thought, to try to explain what's happening. We, as it where we take refuge in the thought about our experience so that by doing that, we'll have an explanation for it and once we have an explanation for it, then we'll feel comfortable. But sometimes the first response of explaining something doesn't seem quite appropriate. That doesn't seem to fit in with that experience. So then we a bit further and then we dig out another explanation and we try to put that, to fit it in with what we're, what's happening to us and what we're going through which we're not comprehending. And sometimes we have three or four explanations going on. It could be this but maybe I'm experiencing this because of this and maybe all these changes because when I, etc. And these thoughts of explanation are the kind of the mind-seeking to make sense of what's going on. And And so what we do, we impose our knowledge, we impose thought, we impose perhaps somewhat similar experiences from the past or the memory of them, and we use that to try to explain. And we've received this message, of course, through society and through countless means, of the need to explain ourselves to ourselves and to each other. And so thought gets used sometimes exclusively for that. Do we have to live this way? There are many experiences and sensations which you are experiencing which we don't have the language for. We don't have the words to get even close proximity. And when we look at the very limited range of concepts with regard to emotions, concepts with regard to meditative experiences, concepts with regard to spaciousness and change and opening, it's a very small range. So we endeavour to impose these. Why? What is this need to keep explaining what's going on to ourselves? What's the result we want from the explanation? What do we think that, trying to explain, what do we think that will do for us? So then, we begin to get a sense in the processes and the meditations that the thoughts themselves there is a limitation built with the thoughts. You follow? The thoughts are useful, but in some areas, their usefulness is limited because the nature of the experience limits it. Your experience and the thought just. It's like two different realms, and we try to put one, the thought, into the other. So that, what does that leave us with? It leaves us with a very bare experience. It leaves us with kind of bare, unfamiliar sensations, sometimes beautiful, sometimes very unpleasant, sometimes very painful, which we recognise I can't actually explain. So one is in a state of unknowing. One doesn't have the capacity to make sense of what's taking place. And this can be scary because we're so used to our dependency on thought, like an addiction, to make things comfortable by explaining them. But sometimes we're in states and experiences, as some of you have been describing, where trying to explain seems so futile. And that's scary because now we're in an unknown. We can't make sense, we can't comprehend what's going on. I think this is a very profound and beautiful time. Getting a sense of the limitations of thought and knowledge and words and language to understand. Last um, year, I um, after I go to uh, Budgaya once a year, and after Budgaya, I went to. Thailand, where I'd been a monk uh, for some years, during the, uh, from, during the 1970s. And I wrote to a number of friends of mine, some monks and nuns, both Thais and Westerners, who I uh, much love and uh, gratitude for, and teachers as well. And and I wrote to one friend, Dharma Ratner, who's an American monk and uh, a dear friend, and I wrote a letter to him and I I said in the letter that I was um, going to Thailand, I'd love to see him, and the primary intention of my uh, visit was um, to uh, visit a tree. And uh, to see a tree, to visit a tree. And the background to this is that uh, in the first three years of my monkhood, which was from 1970 to 73, uh, uh, I stayed in a monastery in the south of Thailand, Wat Chai Na, the monastery at the end of the rice paddies, literal uh, translation. And part of my meditator's day, very, very uh, similar in, in atmosphere and in silence and, uh, and, in, and in form, as here was uh, uh, standing meditation, which tomorrow we will uh, engage, and will uh, give some instructions about. And each morning, as monks uh, and nuns, as a um, number of you know, in the Buddhist tradition, they have these rather a lot of um, um, cumbersome and, to many, to a large extent, rather um, number number of irrelevant rules, and. One of them is that one just eats in the morning and from the time that the sun reaches the midday point, which is 1217, until the following morning when your arm is outstretched and you can see the lines of your hand on the palm. When the dawns come up, when you can see that, then you can start eating again. can take a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so um, after lunch each day I would go to stand to do my standing meditation under a tree and would uh, stand there each day from uh, 12 o'clock until uh, uh, 3 3 o'clock. There's nothing um, uh, special or anything about this. And in this uh, standing under the tree, in the beginning period of doing that, of course it was quite uh, um, uncomfortable and I prefer to go and lie down and knowing that half the other monks were having their midday met-nap and why should I have to be doing this? But anyway (laughs) So, and it got into a kind of rhythm from noon until uh, three each day over this uh, period of time. And in that quietness and stillness of doing, doing that one, there would be dying a little, dying to wanting, dying to desires, dying, dying to doing something different and just being <laughs> with, with, with the standing. And through, through, through that one can lots of movement in the stillness about the relationship of intention, action and result. And I rem- remember that during the, the monsoon which would come there, that I would have this daily debate with myself during the meal <laughs> about <laughs> whether I really wanted to go out there and stand there, and what really were my intentions. <laughs> and so the other monks, you know, the rain would be pouring down and the other monks would come out of the salle, the the dining uh, hall and with the umbrellas, and hurry across to their respective huts. There were a hundred huts in you know. a kind of a circle. And I would be thinking, Am I going to go and stand there? And what was the real intention there? What was I trying to get out of this? <laughs> and I could see within this process and within the standing under the tree that there were really clear times going on for me when actually the reason for being there was to impress the rest of the Sangha. <laughs> that, and, and, the, and the harder it rained, the bigger the impression. <laughs> <laughs> so one would kind of be through this, and this kind of scenario in many ways, I feel, repeats itself through our life. There's the intention, the actions, and the results the intention sometimes mixed sometimes the same and sometimes there's all of that with the wish to make impressions and i think the wish to make impressions takes place but what very e- is understandable but, but very easily takes place it becomes the primary motive to be human is, I think, to be human is, we like to make impressions and we like to please others and and uh, all of that. But somehow or other, in the process of the dynamic, the intention, action and result, itself becomes so clouded and permeated with the desire to make an impression and make a big impression. And what we see in that, there's all forms of Extremism taking place because that becomes the driving purpose. Can we can we see that? Can we notice that going on? Can we feel comfortable with ourselves? Can we be aware of our intentions to see that some of that takes place? Yet it hasn't got its grip on us. We're freeing ourselves. Sometimes, in the wish to explain, and the looking at something, and I think this is particularly noticeable in meditation and and formal meditation, or any action where we're emphasising a kind of pure mindfulness, pure observation. If you were just to take a plant, or a, a scene, or just the here and now, or just the breathing, or whatever. Just going from a rational viewpoint, it w- must seem to many a complete waste of time. Why just sit here at home and just look at a plant? Why bother to do that? Not just for a, 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 a momentary glance, but to do that for several minutes or half an hour or an hour or two. Why bother just to sit and be cross-legged and do just nothing? Many people would, would say the people here are obviously utterly bananas. <laughs> they could be down at the Cape <laughs> <laughs> getting a better suntan because of the hole in the ozone layer. whatever. So sometimes the same movement is taking place with our thought to endeavour to give an explanation to what is taking place. In that wish to give an explanation, sometimes we find we can't find one. And we're in the same position of it just at rational level, intellectual level, simply not making sense. It doesn't make sense to sit hour in and hour out and be mindful of breathing in and breathing out. And yet, in it not making sense that at an intellectual level something seems to go on for us which in some other way makes sense. And it's like we're having to change, to undergo something inside of us in which says our old ways of conceiving, our old ways of viewing things, is not really what it's all about. And we're having to sacrifice again and again the old models and frameworks and to go through, I can't make sense of this, I can't comprehend this, I can't explain this, Stay with this feeling of just unknown and quite incomprehensible and hang in with that space. Just hang in with it. In that hanging in with that space the intimations of these scary feelings for a number of people will arise. They'll arise because The shift which is going on, one is going from an occupied state to not being occupied and therefore unfamiliar territory and therefore I don't know what's happening and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the result is. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going to happen. That's the action. And I don't know what the result is. And my conceived world isn't so secure for me anymore. My orderly world of intention, action and result just doesn't seem to be applying at the moment. And something's going on and I can't explain it. And I begin to find a little bit more space around this preoccupation with intention, action and result. I begin to see that I I need a new kind of religious faith, a spiritual trust. I need to sense that I don't know what it means and if I can just stay there in spite of my scary feelings in spite of not being sure, in spite of my want to try to rationalise it and put it into order and get things back under control. And that process, that unfoldment which takes place and is taking place for, for some of you is in the shifts which are taking place, the relative is beginning to be perceived as the relative. The relative meaning the intention, action and result. We can spend our lives, living our lives, as though that's what it is. That's what life is. That's what the nature of things are. That's what reality is. And then we keep trying to reconfirm this. We look in any society, any culture, any group, and we could say, well, they're all concerned. Every human being is concerned with intentions and their actions and their results, whatever it might be. But then we've taken the time and the trouble to stop. We begin to sense that it's not unreal, but it's the world which the human being has conceived. It's not reality, it's not the nature of things, it's a way of interpreting to give reason to our existence. Nothing, that's not a judgement, nothing bad about that, it's the natural thing from the human standpoint. And from the human standpoint, we give explanation to everything. But supposing, as we've just been exploring, supposing we're getting su- there's some sense of space around that, supposing there's a certain spaciousness, sometimes with some joy and wonder, sometimes with the scary feelings which are taking place, And that conceived world isn't quite as real. That relative, conventional, human view isn't quite the thing that we have believed, that we have put into it. It's just human framework, human perception. Then we begin to sense thought and explanation and feelings and results and that whole Dynamic which is taking place. It's not the nature of things. It's conventional. It's the mode through which you and I, as human beings, relate to each other. It's the mode through which sentient beings relating to each other. And perhaps if we're not so infatuated with it, and yet without a trace of denial or rejection, perhaps in that vastness the human viewpoint, the conceived viewpoint, loses its ultimacy. Ultimacy, To understand? It loses its, this is the way things are. The human being loses the compelling tendency to want to perceive from a human standpoint. Then there's a sense of vastness, then there's a sense of something other, as it were, transcendent to the human viewpoint, which can't be explained. and all the the wondrous intimations of the liberation of that. A liberation which says, yes, immense freedom, not bound to intention, action and result, and yet one goes on living one's life as if intention, action and result really matter. One goes on being with the conventional world and the conventional agreements and talking and discussing about intentions, action and results, yet there is freedom, in and through the process. And the human conceiving has fallen away and not been replaced with some other interpretation, with some other model. And the inexplicable becomes liberating. That which one thought so uncomfortable with not being able to explain becomes the open door to our salvation and emancipation. And then that joy begins to permeate the wonder of it through the intention, action and results. Through the ordinary and through the everyday one loves the miracle. May all beings see into life. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings abide with wonder.